0: The teaching of God's Word And now with today's message, here is our teacher.
1: As we come again to the book of Acts, I am reminded of the story of the lion who woke up one morning and he decided that it was time to stroll through the jungle and check on his kingdom. He came first to a giraffe that was chewing on some leaves up in a tree, and he said to him, "Hey, long neck, who's the king?" of the jungle. Well, the giraffe answered that indeed the lion was the king of the jungle. The lion came to a gorilla and he asked him, he said, hey, big boy, who's the king of the jungle? Well, you are, great lion, came the answer. And as he walks down the path, he spots an elephant spraying himself with water as he stood with his feet in the river. And he said to him, kind of insulted him a little bit. He said, hey, fat boy, the lion yelled, who's the king of the jungle? Well, the elephant just finished his spraying and looked over at the lion. And then he grabbed him around the neck with his trunk. And he picked him up and he beat him on the ground a few times. And he turned him and he held him under the water for about 30 seconds And then finally, after twirling him around his head for a few times, he let him fly through the air. And the lion, he landed up against a tree. And as he was sliding down the tree trunk, he just kind of shook his head and he looked up at the elephant with these big sad eyes and said, Hey, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean you have to be mean about it. We're looking at Acts chapter 9. We see that Saul was roaring like a lion He was mean He was angry He was prideful And he was on a seek and destroy mission to stop the church of Jesus Christ Take another look at verses 1 and 2 with me Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord Went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here we are in our text, and Saul arrives in Jerusalem, and he he gets there as an angry and determined man. Notice some of the wording involved in, in the passage. He was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Saul went to the high priest, meaning he probably went to the Sanhedrin to speak with the high priest. Because it had come to his attention that Christians were hiding out in Damascus. He asked the high priest at this point for letters from the Sanhedrin. These letters would be written to the leaders of the different synagogues. The Sanhedrin had authority over the Jews up in Damascus. Now, this would give him the authority to go to Damascus, arrest the Christians that were hiding out, hiding out there because in Damascus, there was a good number of Jews that lived there, as many as 30 or 40 synagogues. Stop and think about the hatred. Stop and think about the determination on the part of Saul at this point. This is about 140 miles away or more to the north part of Syria today. And from the wording, we can actually tell that Paul wasn't even going to use a donkey. He wasn't even going to use a horse. He was going to walk about, if you will, like that roaring lion, breathing threats and murder against believers. This was about a week away or so on foot. Consider the hate that was bound up in his heart. To hate the Christian spreading the faith 140 miles away from Jerusalem. It could have been a death sentence for anyone he could get his hands on people of the way in verse two first time luke actually mentions this to us the way the path of the true hebrew faith you remember what jesus said jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Now the jews had their own understanding of the way the jews had what they called the way of walking And that was referring to those who followed the law the mosaic laws But luke he refers to the believers as followers of the way of the messiah But who was it in verse 2 that started this new wave of persecution? Was it the sanhedrin? Was it the high priest? It was Saul. He wouldn't be happy until he could drag the men and women back to Jerusalem. And then you have the subtle words of Luke in verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Now Damascus is actually one of the oldest cities in the entire world. It was a city already in the days of Abraham. So Paul headed north on the long road to Damascus. Now verse 7 is going to tell us that Paul had men with him. These would have been armed men, armed with weapons to arrest and actually bring the Christians back to Jerusalem. These other men would not have been Pharisees. These other men would not have been members of the Sanhedrin. And so what this actually means is that they would not have been Saul's equal. The men traveling with him would not have been allowed to talk with him as though they were on equal footing with Saul. They wouldn't have even been allowed to walk alongside of him as he walked, meaning Saul had to walk alone ahead of these men, a lonely and determined walk to bring about the end of the Christian faith. So Luke teaches that Saul came near to Damascus He might have been close enough to see the walls and the towers of the city in the distant skyline. And suddenly a light shines around him from heaven. You know, don't be thinking at this point of a little small flashlight or something like that. Acts 22 says it was about midday. This was a light that was bright enough to stand out against the backdrop of the noonday sun. This was a light from the glory of God shining upon him. And he falls to the ground. The light of the glory of God, it drives him to his knees. And we learn later on in Acts that Saul Saul saw the Christ. He hears a voice, the voice of God, the son. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think we all know that to persecute a Christian is to persecute Christ. And I believe Paul's goal was actually to execute every Jewish believer in Jesus. And this is something that never left him. If you read his epistles, he would go on to say in 1 Corinthians, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because why? I persecuted the church of God. And again, he would say in Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. And what? Tried to destroy it. But what we have before us is the most important conversion story in the history of the church. It is the most important conversion story in the history of the church. Take a look at verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said... I am Jesus. That's a great question, by the way. Who are you? Then the the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, I think it's completely impossible for us today to fully understand how much these simple words must have struck Saul right to the very core of his being. These simple words here in scripture were a complete rebuke of every single thing that he stood for. He had been the one to lead the charge to persecute Christians for their blasphemy, that Jesus is the risen Christ. He was the one that led the charge to persecute those that would dare say that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, reigning in glory next to God the Father. He had to be confused. He thought, he was defending God. And now Saul, on the ground, on this road, he was confronted by this same Jesus. This made Saul face the truth that Jesus of Nazareth is alive. Just as the Christians had been proclaiming all along, it confronted Saul with the glory of Christ, testifying to Saul that indeed, Christ was exactly where he said he would be reigning in glory. You see, at this point, the truth of Christ could not be denied anymore. And from this point forward, you don't actually see in the scriptures that Saul attempted to defend himself before God. Saul was broken. One minute, Saul is a leading figure for the Jews, a man to be reckoned with, a man of authority. And now we see a man on the ground, completely broken before the living God. Saul understood that in his passion to defend God, he had persecuted the son of David, the son of God. Now, what does it mean with this phrase here to kick against the goats? You've heard of this before, but what does it mean? It comes from the practice of farmers goading their oxen in the fields. Goats, you remember, were typically made from slender little pieces of wood, blunt on one end and pointed on the other. And farmers would, of course, use a pointed end to urge a stubborn ox into motion. Sometimes the ox would kind of kick back a little bit, just like a horse does or a cow. The ox would kick back against the goad. But the more he did, what happened? The sharp point would puncture the skin and cause intense pain. Jesus was telling Saul that he had been prodding him along for a time, just prodding and prodding and prodding. How? Well, the words of Christ probably haunted Saul. You know, if you think about it, Saul and Jesus were about the same age. Their paths, they might have crossed in Jerusalem. And the words and works of Jesus, they must have pierced his mind and goaded him. Then there was Stephen's death. A violent death. But Stephen held firm, didn't he? And he died in peace. And everywhere Paul looked, believers in Christ, they just kept popping up. You know, it's like that childhood game of whack-a-mole. And after a while, the steady and faithful witness of the people he took into prison, the courage of these believers, it began to haunt his thoughts. And the Lord prodded him day after day until finally he got the message. There would be no more running. There would be no more hiding. The fight was over. I love the old story about a man communicating that was having a hard time communicating with his wife. Some of you have been there. And he began to think that over the years of his marriage, maybe, just maybe, his wife was becoming hard of hearing. So he came up with a plan. He decided to test her hearing, but he wasn't going to actually tell her about it. So one night, he sat in a chair on the far side of the room and her back was to him. She couldn't see his face. So very quietly, he whispered, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And just as he expected, there was absolutely no response from her. We moved a little closer this time and he asked once again, can you hear me now? Still no reply from his wife. So very quietly, he got himself even closer and he whispered the words. But for the third time, there was no answer. And finally, he moved in right behind her chair and said, can you hear me now? This time she turned around and looked right at him and said, with a little bit of frustration in her voice, for the fourth time, yes. I often wonder if Saul thought along the way that maybe God didn't hear his prayers. Do you think that Saul prayed for God to use him as he punished those who opposed what he thought was the Jewish faith? You see, I actually do. I think Saul prayed often. I think Saul may have questioned if God was hearing his prayers. But the problem wasn't on God's end. God could hear him just fine. Saul was the one that wasn't listening it isn't hard to make that mistake is it not that you're going to see a light from heaven or a loud voice but it's easy enough to fail to listen to the word of God all you have to do is leave your Bible shut leave your Bible app off nowadays all you have to do is fail to live out what you read what you say you believe it's so easy to neglect God But the grace of God changes everything for Saul. Notice our text now, starting in verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but notice, seeing no one. He trembled. He was astonished. Saul saw Christ and he would go on to write about this in 1 Corinthians 9 where he wrote am I not an apostle am I not free have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord Luke tells us the men with Saul heard a voice but saw no one and based on Acts 22 we know the men heard that a voice was actually speaking But they couldn't make out the words. They couldn't understand what was being said. They knew something significant happened, but it was not their place to take part in the conversation that the Lord had with Saul. So forever changed. Notice what happens starting in verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Humbled before God at this point, Saul had to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus where he could reflect now on what God had done. The lion had been tamed and he did not eat or drink for three days. Blind. Why blind? You ever ask yourself that? Why blind? Well, it's the breaking of the will. In order to put your trust in another person, you need to be aware of your need In order to depend on someone else You need to be brought to the point where you quit depending on yourself And it broke paul completely And that is why he would go on to tell the church at philippi this Notice what he said to the church at philippi If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh I more so And look at his list Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is a law. Blameless. then what did he go on to say? But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. You see, in the pages of Acts chapter 9, Saul was beginning to learn Saul was beginning to learn that he could no longer have confidence in the flesh. Everything that he had once trusted in, everything he had once boasted in, was now to be reexamined in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. His entire world had been changed, transformed, turned upside down, and he was led into Damascus blind and helpless like a little child you probably heard the old illustration of a church that found itself without a pastor and a committee was formed. And receiving a letter from a man wanting the job, the letter said this. It said, I'm considered to be a good preacher. I've been a leader in most of the places I've served. I've also done some writing on the side. I'm over 50 years old. And while my health is not the best, I still manage to get enough work done. But as for references, I'm at a loss. I've never preached anywhere for more than three years. And most of the churches that I've preached in, they've been small, even though they were in large cities. I've had to leave some places because my ministry has caused riots. I've been physically threatened, attacked. I've even gone to jail a few times for preaching. And I'm not particularly good at keeping records. I have to admit, I don't even remember how many people I've baptized over the years. But hey, if you can use me, I'd be honored to be considered. I'm sure I can bring some new life to your church. Well, there is no doubt that Paul had a ministry that was like few others. And this in Acts 9, what we're seeing, it's the start of it it's the very beginning. It's the genesis of his ministry. His conversion was so significant in the life of the church that it's actually recorded three separate times. But the church of Christ didn't trust him at first. Can you blame him? Look at poor Ananias in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Saul stayed with a man named Judas living on Straight Street. The street is still there in Damascus today. In the Bible times, this would have been a very busy, busy street. In fact, it still is a very busy street. it runs from the west gate to the east gate of the city. We have a good idea of the house this was at the west end of the street. But look at how God orchestrated all these events in the book of Acts. Saul was praying and God showed him that a man would come and restore his sight. And Ananias was that man. Whether he liked it or not, he was that man. Hard to blame the guy. But look at how he reacts in verse 13. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. I mean, are you kidding me, Lord? How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things He must suffer, suffer for my name's sake. You can be sure that Ananias had heard about Saul. He knew about the persecution. And word was out that Saul had the authority from the chief priest to arrest anyone that called on the name of Jesus. Are you sure, God? Are you sure you want me to go? Have you been there? Are you sure, God? Me? Me? ananias threw it out like god didn't somehow know about saul the christians in damascus they had just fled there from jerusalem and saul was coming to town and the believers there had to wonder at this point should they flee again should they stay and here we have the lord telling ananias go and face the man go and face the man the very man that the christians so desperately were fearing Go and face the biggest enemy of the church, chosen by the Lord to bear witness to Jesus, the living Christ before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. This is actually a prediction here that Paul would be on trial before the Gentiles, before the kings of the earth and before the children of Israel. And this is exactly what happened, isn't it? Because Paul, he went on trial before the Gentile rulers Felix and Festus, on trial before King Agrippa, and he gave testimony repeatedly over and over again in the synagogues. And Paul even gave testimony to the Sanhedrin in chapter 23. And verse 15, this was all a prediction of the ministry of Paul. The man that once violently persecuted the church would now be the one who would willingly accept persecution for the sake of the name Jesus Christ. You know, everything in Saul's life had been leading to this encounter with the living Christ. This is what God had prepared him for. His birth into a family, which enjoyed the privilege of having Roman citizenship. His birth into a family that lived in a city where he would learn the Greek language, but he also was brought up in the synagogue, being trained up in the Old Testament scriptures, Saul's training as a rabbi, even all the vain traditions of the Jews and his hatred for the church, his hatred for Christ. God packaged up all these things to use Paul for his purpose and for his glory. Paul was to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and the Lord had equipped this man for the mighty work that he laid before him. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote, speaking of the suffering that he had endured From the Jews, five times, I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Watch this list. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often. In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And pay attention to this next part. What does he say? Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches that's what paul thought about it at the end of it all his deep concern was for all the churches i have seen the most horrible things but i have met people who are still full of faith in spite of what they have endured those are the opening words of matt Nowry to a gathering of leaders and supporters of Samaritan's Purse, the ministry that is led by Frank and Graham. Now Matt at the time had been serving in Sudan. Then at that time, it was the most dangerous place in Africa and perhaps the entire world. And Matt continued to speak. He said this, 18 months ago, I was at home, a recent graduate of the University of Georgia, waiting for an opportunity, looking for a place to commit my life. And then listen to what he said. Matt turned to Franklin Graham and he said, Mr. Graham, this is the first time since the day you gave me the opportunity in Sudan that I've been able to say thank you publicly So tonight, in front of all these people, I want to say thank you for challenging a young man like me to a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, let's rewind this story a little bit. Let's go back in time to 18 months before this. Matt's father, Kirk, was a longtime friend of Franklin Graham. Well, soon after Matt and his older sister Ashley had graduated from college, Franklin called Kirk in the middle of the night. And Kirk, he said, this is Franklin. I hope I'm not calling you too late. Normally that means you are. But I hope I'm not calling you too late. I have your kids on my heart. I heard that they're at some transitional points in their lives. Out of college and looking for something beyond the mundane. I have a little project I want to present to them, a little project. Well, the family talked about it and they went up to see Franklin. And when they met, they made the normal small talk that you would make. And Franklin turned to Ashley first, who had just graduated from nursing school. And he turns to her and says, Sudan is the most desperately needy country in the entire world. There's been a civil war there for decades. The UN calls it the most dangerous place in the planet. We have a field hospital near Darfur, the Darfur region where we treat people who have been shot, beaten, slashed with machetes, and tortured by Muslim forces from the north. There is also every kind of disease you can imagine. Our hospital has been bombed seven times. And then he added, I think that when this kind of thing is happening... The first hand to reach out to people in need should be the hand of Jesus. We are that hand. Ashley, you're a talented nurse, and I want to invite you to join our team at the hospital. Well, as a parent at this point, you're a little taken back by this. But before the parents could say anything, Ashley just said this. She said, Mr. Graham, my daddy trusts you, and we've always been taught to live by faith. Sign me up. now again the parents are speechless before either parent could say a word franklin then turned to matt and said this matt i want to talk to you about a tougher assignment in the southern sudan we have identified more than 200 churches that muslims have either bombed burned or looted in many of these churches they have locked the people inside tied the pastors to the doors and burned them to the ground matt i want you to go in Get the names, get the stories of every pastor that has been killed. I want you to get the names of all the Christians who have been killed. And all the churches that have been destroyed. And I want you to commit to leading the effort to build five churches for every single church that has been destroyed. And to raise up five pastors for everyone who has been martyred. Jesus Christ will stand in the end. Matt signed up instantly. His sister Ashley worked in an indescribable setting at this hospital. She was even attacked once by Muslim soldiers who killed one of her patients right in front of her. Years later, back at this banquet, Matt stood and said, my team and I have recorded the story of 429 Christian pastors who have been tortured and martyred in Sudan. In most cases, their church buildings were destroyed Sometimes burned down with members still locked inside The christians are victims in a reign of violence driven by the fierce muslim government in the north They have been severely persecuted many have died, but others are waiting to take their place Isn't that a beautiful lesson for our church? And then he ended by saying mr. Graham. Thank you for challenging me for asking me to make a difference for calling on me to make my life count Please don't ever stop challenging young people to a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Did I suggest to you this morning that if Acts chapter 9 doesn't hit home in your heart, it's because we're not living on the front lines. We're in the reserves. We're in the reserves. We're not on the front lines. But I am praying, and you may not like this prayer, but I am absolutely praying that God will challenge each one of you. That he will stretch you until it actually hurts you. That God will show you a path where you can go and make a difference for Jesus Christ. To get out of the mundane. To get out of the mundane and get onto that path of living for Christ. You know, only a few are called to serve in a place like the Sudan. Every single one of us in this room is absolutely called to live for the glory of Christ. What does it take It takes faith It takes obedience and it takes a heart surrendered to the will of god And it forces us to each ask the questions. Do we believe the word of god? Do you believe? Do you care about the pages of the word of god? Because if you actually care and believe it and we're not just playing church Then nothing should compare with the love that we have for jesus christ and the love that we have for this lost and dying world it means pressing on to receive the prize that awaits for you when you go to see Jesus Christ you know living for Christ is done when you do your part when you do your part to have a Christ centered home it's done in your relationship when you're with your spouse when men you love your wife like Jesus Christ loves the church it's done in your work when you serve with integrity it's done in the church when you give and you serve in the ministry Paul once told Timothy for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a watch this as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life you know what that means it means that Paul understood that the mercy and grace shown to him by the Lord Jesus Christ was the pattern for those that would believe in the name of Christ meaning this God had us in mind. God had us in mind when Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus. God converted Paul so that we would read of the grace of God. So that we would read of the love of God and the mercy of God. And part of God's plan in confronting Saul was to give hope to each one of us. Because grace, grace changes everything. I hope you believe it. And I hope you live it for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Return to the Word is a listener-supported ministry. And truthfully, it is people like you, those who listen each week, that God uses to help us meet the expense of a ministry dedicated to reaching people for the gospel of Christ and the teaching of God's Word. And so I want to take a moment to thank those that support the work even those that give $5 a month or $10 a month, because those smaller donations, they add up. And we thank you because it keeps the programs free of charge so that others may learn of God's amazing grace. If you'd like to help us out, you can find out more at returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel
0: of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com. Or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.